We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Here with myself and my co-host, Nick Turchin, here to break down the latest in the breaking with the New York football giants. Obviously, last Sunday, extremely disappointing loss to the Philadelphia Eagles in a game that really the Giants should have won, in my opinion. Um, They had multiple opportunities to win this game, different spots. Obviously, the officiating was not good in this game. I mean, we'll, we'll go over some of those clear examples, but... Even so, the Giants should have won the game, and they had plenty of clear opportunities, like I said, to win that game. So it's super disappointing when you look at the fact that, one, this week against Chicago Bears, the Giants going up against backup quarterback Chase Daniel, and two, you know, this NFC East is still wide open. I don't I don't trust the Dallas Cowboys to beat the New Orleans Saints on Thursday night football uh, tomorrow, and I also don't trust, you know, the Redskins to hold up. So it's a disappointing loss for a team that looked to hopefully have been turning the page but we'll get into why they lost uh, in this show because, you know, I have a different take on what was the main cause for the loss. And I know Nick does as well than kind of what has been the consensus on Giants Twitter. But on that note, let's throw it over to Nick. Nick, how was the rest of your weekend and the week leading up to this podcast so far? That was great. Good Thanksgiving. Um, a lot of really good football games, I thought, uh, college and NFL. So I've been busy, but it's been great. It's been awesome. Yeah, definitely some awesome football. I've caught an eye on I've been watching a little bit of Oklahoma lately just because I think this Kyler Murray is really interesting interesting prospect um quarterback of the Oklahoma Sooners uh he obviously he said like I'm like I'm probably gonna end up playing baseball but he kind of has a little bit of a interesting like move up draft boards late type feel to me um and we'll see we'll see where it goes with that because this draft class this quarterback class I feeling is going to be a lot of guys like Murray who you have to kind of like find a way to, to get on board with and you don't really see it all there but you're like maybe 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 could be one of those classes but just something to think about as we transition obviously pretty soon on this podcast into full out uh free agency and and 2019 nfl draft talk and i personally can't wait for that because i think that's where we're really going to find our niche here and hit our stride nick um because right now if you're a giants fan that's what you should be focused on at three and eight i mean at this point, mathematically, the Giants are not eliminated, but, you know, they're gone. They're all but eliminated. The Giants are not going to make the postseason this season. They're not going to win the NFC East. Um, you know, it's highly unlikely, especially after going 0-4 in the division with the loss the Eagles, which in a sense would probably knock them out from any tiebreaker if they finish at 8-8 eight and eight with another team in the NFC East. But on that note, Nick, let's transition into a little bit of a news roundup before we hit up the All-22 review what we saw on tape from the Eagles and the Giants, and then, you know, preview a little Giants-Bears before getting to some of your guys' questions. So we'll start with a report that actually just surfaced today from SNY's Ralph Vacchiano. And Vacchiano has been on the Giants' beat for quite some time, so I do 
you know, I do think that his sources are pretty well connected and his reports are pretty solid. And he said that at this time, uh, the Giants have still not decided whether or not Eli Manning will be their quarterback or will not be their quarterback for the 2019 season. Vacchiano mentioned that this is a process that they're still going through. They're going to continue evaluating this decision all the way through the end of the 2018 season. Vacchiano pointed to, and again, this is according to his source, uh, anonymous source, uh, whoever that may be, that one, the Giants always had a two-year plan with Manning uh, when Dave Edelman was hired, when Pat Sherman was hired. The idea was we're going to build out the offensive line and we're going to see how, th- and we believe that Manning could still be a winning quarterback with good pass protection. Two, uh, the Giants believe that Manning has played better over the last three weeks with improved pass protection. Now, anyone could argue whether that's the case or not. I think when you look at it statistically and both on film, it's impossible to say he hasn't improved from where he was first eight weeks. Now, whether that's good enough to be a winning quarterback in the NFL or whether that's good enough to you know, be somebody who the team allocates $23 million of their salary cap space to, that's another debate. And then lastly, as Vacchiano's source kind of pointed out, the Giants are just not sure that there will be a better option. Everybody wants to say Kyle Walletta, but you know what? He's a rookie. Look how much the rookies have struggled this year. He's a fourth-round rookie, and he looked pretty bad in the preseason, uh, in the fourth game of the preseason, at least when he had his extended run. Um, so really, what are the other options? That's something the Giants are going to have to debate this offseason. Um, we're going to get to that, obviously, at some point uh, in the next few weeks, the next few months. But that's kind of where they're at right now. And it's a bit surprising to me because I do think that at this point, it is pretty clear that Manning is not making enough plays on his own now. Whether that's what you define a winning quarterback to be or not, uh, that's a debate. Yeah, but at $23.2 million against the salary cap, with an out in Manning's contract, where if the Giants release him this offseason, they'll save $17 million. To me, the decision is pretty clear at this, this point. Nick, where do you stand if you were kind of in Dave Gettleman's seat right now? Uh, I just I think, yeah, I think there's really little way that, that Manning will be here for next camp is kind of the way it's that- that's the way I see it. I mean, I, I think from an offensive perspective, from the money perspective, from all those, he could. I almost think he could really play awesome for the end of the year out. It doesn't. I don't think it really doesn't matter, just because the money, the money angle, and you know, I kind of stand on the fence on on. We're thinking that they're definitely going to go after guys like Bridgewater if he's available, because that type of fit is a lot better um, for for guys like the offense or guys like the offensive coordinator and, and Pat Shermer, who you know, again, they, they need they they're they're in. It's a it's a turnaround, but they need to win soon. Is the way to think of it. So I don't think that that's I think that that's the best way going forward. Yeah, I mean this is not the NBA. Tanking is not a multi year thing in the NFL. You want to turn that thing around fast. You want to turn around fast. And again, the Giants are changing a lot. You can just see it on the defensive side of the ball. They're really reshaping how they want the roster to look at all three levels, or I guess at all two levels. The third level in the in the secondary is that's not as apparent except for at the safety positions, um, but. You know, it's going to take some time. Like, they tried to patch together this defense in 2016 with a big-ass free agent spending spree where they paid for JPP and Janoris Jenkins and Vernon and Snacks. You know, three, two of four players who aren't on the roster now, but it's possible all four won't be on the roster soon. And all that did was kind of patch up a defense that, let's face it, has been really, really bad since 2011 when all they really had anyway during that Super Bowl season was an amazing run in the postseason. That defense was ranked 30th during the 2011 regular season. So this defense has been bad for quite some time. And I posted something about this on Twitter earlier this week, Nick. And, you know, this doesn't totally touch on the point we're talking about with Eli Manning right now. But when you look at it, this Giants offensive line is starting to look like a unit that may just may be better suited moving forward than like the defense overall or like any specific unit on the defense besides maybe the defensive line, because you look at it and you got Wheeler. I'm sorry. You got Solder and Hernandez locked in on the left side and they're playing better football. The giants, they're high on jalapeno. We talked about this on previous podcasts, something I've heard from source. And it's also something that, you know, you can see just from Pat Shermer's comments in jalapeno during the bye week Jamon Brown, right guard, playing pretty decent football. You know, he he got beat. Obviously, they showed the, you know, I think you broke this down, Nick, or someone broke down a play where he got beat real bad in pass protection. And his pass protection is still a little bit of a work in progress um, overall. But, you know, he's clearly a better player at that at that guard spot than they've had all season. And then they'll obviously need a replacement at right tackle, but staring them in the face is going to be free agent right tackle Darrell Williams from the Carolina Panthers, a guy who 
Steve Gettleman drafted in the fourth round at Oklahoma. Amazing find when he was with the Panthers. A guy who was a free agent this offseason, coming off a season-ending injury on a team, the Panthers, who already allocated a ton of salary cap space to the offensive line. So you think maybe, just maybe, it's highly possible the Giants will not only have a chance to go after him, but but sign him. Um, so I look at it, Nick, like there's a lot more there's a lot more things to worry about, but the only way to start getting to fixing them is by clearing that uh, salary cap space from Eli Manning. So while I'm not as sold as you are that some of these guys will be better options for the team, like Kyle Oletta or like a Joe Flacco or Nick Foles or any of that trash, in my opinion, which is what I consider them to be. Um, I'm sorry to say it, but like I just don't think that they're playing better football than Eli Manning. I really don't. Um, but in the end, it's it, to me, it comes down to the cap. So we'll move on from there to another report, actually, from Ralph Acciano, which was of SNY, which was earlier from earlier this week, and that's that the Giants still plan to play Kyle Oletta during the 2018 season. Nick, what do you think is a realistic goal for for when we'll see Kyle Oletta on the field this season? Uh. <laughs> Funny, I, I really, I don't, I have, I thought you would have seen him already. Um, I think that you know, if you look at the schedule, do you want to start against the Tennessee defense? My answer would be no there. It's pretty tough. I think against it got maybe Indianapolis in, in the 16th week of the season, just in terms of like, and I don't even know if you're even thinking this way strategically for him, but uh, because either way, it's going to be a tough start, but it's, it's one of those things where I think you just, you got to kind of get him in there to see where it is. I thought Washington would make sense because they're a divisional rival and you get at least that, that side of, of intensity where the schedule still means something where, you know, for Indianapolis at that point in the season, it may not mean anything in week 16 or week 17 for Dallas even. So anyway, I, I think earlier the better, but that's just me. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see where it, where it goes. Yeah. I mean, and it was certainly, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it was certainly an interesting report from Vacchiano because, you know, as far as what the Giants have said publicly and what Pat Shermer said publicly, you would get the idea from the Giants public comments that Loretta may not even be in the picture for 2018, but you know, um, Bacchiano has remained strong and true in that, in that, in his source and saying that, listen, he will play during the season. It's just a matter of when and not if, so we'll keep an eye on that. But another interesting, uh, you know, topic from earlier this week was Shermer's comments on Alex Tanny, basically saying, why are you guys skipping over Alex Tanny on the depth chart? And, you know, <clears throat> Who's to say I won't play Tanny over Loletta if I make a change at the quarterback position? And that's just something that's really interesting to me because Tanny, 31 years old, you know, he's been in seven different NFL organizations, wasn't drafted, um, you know, his career 99 yards passing. So I just, I just don't get it. Like, I just don't understand what's the point of saying that about Tanny. I understand you want to be, you want to be a guy who preaches that our only goal here is to win and, you know, you want to keep the locker room together by doing so and by, you know, letting everyone know that as long as they – that everyone has a fair chance to play, I guess is what I'm saying, Nick. But in the end, if you're going to make a quarterback change away from Manning, to me it has to be the Loletta. I personally don't think there's any chance Alex Manning will be give the Giants a better chance to win now than Eli Manning this season. I don't even think it's close. Um, so I know a lot of people think Eli Manning is like the worst quarterback in the NFL for some reason. I guess they just don't watch a lot of these guys, other players. But – I don't think it's even close. So if you're going to make that decision where you say, all right, we're not winning game. We're not, you know, Eli Manning's not giving us the best chance to win anymore. I think what you have to then transition to is focusing on your future. If Lolette is a solution for 2019, you can get a good idea, a decent idea of it, at least now. Um, what do you, what do you say about that, Nick? Uh, you know, again, I think it's tough because there's no tape on, there's no tape on Tanny. I think that the other side of it is that they have all the practice tape on Tanny. So for the reps that they see, if they see enough and they think he's the best chance to win, maybe I get it. The other side of it is that they think that they thought he was enough to keep him around over Davis Webb, which I thought was not the right idea, the right decision. Maybe they think he's enough. He's good enough to be a 32 year old backup next year and they want to see him actually play. Um, so that could, that could absolutely be the case. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. And, and we'll see how it goes. I, I can't imagine. I agree with you. I can't imagine what you're saying that, that would actually play out with him playing, but we'll see. It's, 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 it's a tough one. Yeah. And then in other news, the Giants are still finding a way to make headlines this week with the Pat Shermer, Odell Beckham Jr. drama that's ensued. So Odell Beckham Jr. obviously made some comments after the loss about the play calling, how he thought the Giants should have you know, attacked more downfield against the Eagles beat up secondary. Um, then earlier, you know, later this week, I guess it was yesterday on this WFAN interview, Sherman made a comment about how he likes how Algic Roses, the Giants kicker, is a true old school football player, doesn't complain about hydration or anything like that. And so some people thought that would mean, you know, that was Shermer basically taking a dig 
and Odell Beckham Jr. Shermer said it had nothing to do with it today. What do you what do you make of all this, Nick? Is that anything the Giants have to worry about? Or just a typical fodder in a three and eight season? I think it could be fodder. I didn't read I didn't hear the comments and I refused to listen to yeah. show. So it's one of those things where like, you know, who knows what the barrage of questioning was in front of it. You know, I, I even think that Beckham's comments initially, if you listen to the whole or watch the whole interview, the, the, the questioner was trying to get him to say something negative right. about the play calling, and he wouldn't, but he kind of has to defer to the coach because he doesn't want to tell him no comment because that almost looks worse, I think. So it's like I, I, I don't think he really was trying to make a statement either. It's one of those things where it's, it just seems to be you have two, you have two competitors and you know, they have to answer questions in just after a loss. And obviously Shermer's with days after um, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah. Much to do about nothing there for me as well. Um, and in other news today, actually Cody Latimer, the giants receiver who was placed on injury reserve with a hamstring injury after week six, it will return to practice this week and the giants could actually activate him from injured reserve designated to return uh, as, soon, as soon as week 15 against the Tennessee Titans, I believe either week 15 or week 16 against the Colts. Um, do you think that at this point it's counterproductive to kind of put him back into the mix and then at the same time kind of limit what you'll see from Corey Coleman over the remainder of the season? Because again, Corey Coleman and Latimer are both free agents, but Latimer is unrestricted free agent and Coleman is a restricted free agent. In other words, the Giants can sign, re-sign Coleman with ease and very little salary cap hit. What do you think about that, Nick? I think that they still don't have a lone X wide receiver who can win in isolation at the catch point. Um, you know, uh, I think Coleman's not exactly shorthanded. And I think, I think what you see with, with Beckham when he's the lone X against deep, against bigger cushions, like you saw in the second half of this game, sometimes in the first half too, you know, he, he, he wasn't able to get separation. And then when it came to the point of actually catching the ball, it's, it's not, you know, he, it's just, he's better in combinations. He's one of the best players in combinations. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's totally fine. Cause why not? It's a free shot. It kind of doesn't, like you said, the season doesn't matter. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good audition, I guess. Um, and for, I don't think it, I think the other side of it is it effectively mean guys like um, Russell Shepard would, would sit. You know, I don't really think that's a big, big issue for me. Yeah. Shepard and Fowler, but, Right. Yeah, I can see that. As long as they still have an eye on on Coleman, I'm okay with that decision as well. Um, in other news, as far as the injury front goes, Evan Ingram missed practice today on Wednesday. A few other limited guys on the defensive side of the ball: Tay Davis, um, another minor injury, but nothing too too serious there. Um, today, also, by the way, Nick, and I don't know if you knew this, it marks the one year anniversary of the craziest seven days I've had in the NFL business when the Giants decided to. Uh, bench Eli Manning last season for Geno Smith. It's, it started one of the most insane 72 hours and then then full weeks after that, you know, ended in the Giants firing Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese. Um, and one thing looking back, we won't go over the entire drama of the situation uh, that obviously shook the fan base. But one thing looking back that I found interesting was John Mara's comments about, you know, how they wanted to get a look at the young quarterback, Davis Webb, so they could at least have an idea of what to do moving forward as they head into the draft at the quarterback position. Um, obviously, the Giants ended up using their top draft pick on a running back, Saquon Barkley. But, you know, if those comments were true then, Nick, it just makes no sense to me that they wouldn't still be true today. Um, and that's why I still do believe that Kyle Willetta will get a shot at some point this season. And I know it seems open-ended at this point, but at least publicly from what Pat Shermer said. But just looking back, that was just something interesting I found there. Um, and then transitioning a little bit, uh, something I wanted to hear your comments on, Nick. A guy we talked about in last week's episode, Olivier Vernon, who we believe you know, has really struggled. Pat Shermer had some interesting comments on him earlier this week. Basically, a reporter asked, like, have you noticed on tape that that Vernon is getting double teamed often, or the defense or the opposing offense line is the opposing offense is putting extra attention in his direction? And Shermer basically said no, and basically said, "I'll defer to you guys. You guys have been here longer with Ov. Maybe you know, kind of a hinting that like maybe there was a time when he was getting extra attention from the opposing offense." What did you make of those comments, Nick? From what you've seen evaluating Vernon on the All Twenty Two. Yeah, and no, I mean uh, at the defensive end, the most he's going to other as a as a as a five tech and out, what he's going to the, the, the you know, what the double team would be would be the form of a of a tight end or a uh, or a chip from the from the running back, and so yeah, I don't you don't see that a ton, and he's he in previous years, I guess if they're trying to get at that, he um, it was JPP who was predominantly on the on the strong side of the field or the close side of the field with the tight end. So he actually has not. He was always a weak side player for them here. So I don't think that was really – I think he's kind of <laughs> – I think this goes back to that he 
he's adversarial with the media for good reason, I think. And I think he wants to fire these questions back at him because they're looking for 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 kind of like the dirt that he may reveal, which I don't think he's ever going to reveal it. So, you know, I have no problem with him kind of saying that. I just I think that on tape, yeah, it's it's the story's a little better on tape than people realize and he gets credit for, especially in the first half of, of this of this game. I think he, he had some good wins against against uh, Jason Peters. And I think the same thing last week. But as the game goes on, he does not get stronger. And part of me wonders. And part of me wonders if that's what's going on there. If he is healthy, if he isn't healthy, if his, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't get it um, because he should, there should be a lot more production than there actually is, whether if it's going to come soon, I think it needs to come really soon for him. Yeah. I mean, 19.5 million gets a cat next year. That's not somebody who you can, you can say, uh, you, you can't, you're not winning when somebody, <laughs> when your evaluation for someone is basically how you just described it, Nick. And I'm just, I'm not saying that to disparage the guy, but I mean, you can't be falling off in second half. So there's something, you know, that you've noticed and it's something that's pretty obvious. Every fan has noticed this and that's why there's so much chatter about it. And here's a guy who maybe is a little bit more injured than he's leading or still a little bit more injured. He's leading on and not wanting to play through the injury for a team that he doesn't feel confident he's going to be a part of after this season. So I just think at this point the Vernon the Vernon situation has gone and passed it. There's really no way the Giants are going to get a twenty million dollar defensive end out of him moving forward. He's been injured way too often. It's a reoccurring ankle injury. He's not he's not an elite pass rusher. And he's being paid like one. So I don't mind the comments at all. Um, on a one positive note that I wanted to kind of tip off the Giants fans, unrelated as we're moving on a little bit, is that the Giants fans should actually keep an eye on the Los Angeles Chargers over the rest of the season. Why is that? Well. If Geno Smith, the Chargers backup quarterback, who got in on a lot of action last week in a blowout win, if he plays a certain amount of snaps more and it will require either a few more quarters in a blowout win or the best case scenario for the Giants would be the Chargers locking up a five seed uh, because they can't win their AFC West division over the Chiefs, I believe, or it's very unlikely. And if the Chargers lock up the five seed and they have nowhere to move one way or another, up or down for the postseason going into week 17, Geno Smith could get a full start there in week 17 in a meaningless game for them. And if that's the case, the Giants will get a fifth-round compensatory draft pick in exchange for them losing Devin Kennard to the Detroit Lions, but it is dependent on Geno Smith's playing time. So <laughs> moving forward, Giants fans, you should be rooting for Geno Smith to play in football games for the Los Angeles Stars. I know that sounds crazy, but hey, a fifth-round pick is a fifth-round pick, and the Giants will take it. Um, so just, just one note there to, to keep an eye on. But let's transition a little bit, Nick, to – the review of the the all twenty two review of the Eagles game. So, the Giants led this game nineteen three. The score should have been twenty to three. They went for two and they missed it, or twenty one to three. But let's say twenty to three if the Eagles don't jump off sides. And then twenty three to ten at halftime, the Giants kick the field goal and Eli Manning doesn't throw that interception. It's just a different game, and a game that ends up being decided by three points. It makes a massive difference. And obviously, those two point conversions led to a four point swing because the Eagles then obviously instead of uh, going from three to 10 after they scored a touchdown went from three to 11. But, you know, when I look back and I see the, the four offensive possessions in the second half and, you know, before the score and, you know, what stood out to me as the culprit for this loss was the play of the defense. They really were on the field for a lot of time. They couldn't get off the field. They had a few stops and some nice blitzes mixed in, but it felt like feast or famine for the defense. Um, and Nick, what did you see? Uh, because I want to ask what you saw, because there has been a big narrative that's kind of emerged on Giants Twitter this week that the Giants, the Eagles made halftime adjustments on the defensive side of the ball, and the Giants did not adjust well to those adjustments. What do you make of that narrative? Uh, I think it's kind of just, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's, it's just not accurate. Um, you know, the, the, the adjustments that people are talking about, probably referring to, the fact that the Eagles secondary had a lot of new guys in there, right? And you saw guys like um, their safety Sullivan kind of on, and their cornerback Sullivan, both Sullivan's kind of moving all over the place and in, in, in bad coverages and kind of getting mixed up. And what they were getting mixed up on pre predominantly was uh, defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz wanted to call a lot of split field coverages. So a lot of man coverages, they were running man to the field side, to the, to the, to the larger side of the field and running zone to the boundary, which is an interesting combination. They stopped doing that because apparently Jenkins, their captain, said we need to stop it. The, the coordination, the communication is way too difficult for all these young guys there. And I know Brian Baldinger had a great thing, like a great example where he was going off as he usually does about how the, how the Eagles have 12 men on the field and how could they possibly ever do that. It's like, you know, these guys are human and they're new players and it's hard and it's hard when there's, you know, I think the level of the defenses are very complicated, the amount of checks that they have in that, meaning the adjustments that they have based upon what the offense does. 
net net, they had to simplify the offense. So they simplified the offense to more basically simple cover three structures, cover three zone structures, which by the way, once the giants were able to maintain a possession and not have it blown out by penalties or other stupid kind of mistakes, they, they kind of picked apart on the final drive. Like the, as bad as the giants whole offense was in the second half, they right. came up with a game tying drive, like almost effortlessly. Like you kind of know Manning's going to show up, yeah. but then you see the rest of the play calling. They attacked the vert. It wasn't just vertical routes down the field. It was a lot of crossing routes. Uh, Manning missed a touchdown on a double post. That was just, I mean, actually the guy who broke that play down, who called that play uh, was, uh, was coach um, was, was on the all 22, the matchup show on NFL uh, on ESPN. Sorry. I'm kind of going all over the place. Um, Coach Bowen broke that play, broke that exact concept down, that that was the way to beat the Eagles' single high structure for the Giants, and they they absolutely did it, and Manning just didn't throw it. So there's all those types of – it was it was a, it were good adjustments made, I thought. I don't even think they're really just adjustments. I think they're just the, – it was just the play calling kind of continued on and actually was able to, to get a drive going, um, and and they, they really had a chance there. I mean, ultimately, the game comes down to Odell Beckham on LeBlanc one-on-one and, and with no over-the-top help, and – you know, he holds him for sure, but but you know, I think I thought Beckham's separation should have been better if he ran the route a little better, a little little more like the way Sterling Shepard is a little more precise in his route running. You know, so ultimately, I don't think that was really the narrative. I think the the bigger narrative was on the other side of the ball. We'll get to that, um, and and the fact that, that there was a kind of like a battle of wills going on, which was really awesome to watch. Um, but on the offensive side, I I thought overall Manning played well enough to win for sure. Made made mistakes, but but well enough to win for sure, and I think other guys did too. Yeah, I mean, and people kill you if you're in the Giants fan base for saying anything about Odell Beckham Jr. that could be viewed as poor. But, you know, you've said this before about his route running, and, and it's really – he should win that route. He was held, but doesn't matter. He should win that route. He should be able to win that route against LeBlanc or whoever the hell – was it LeBlanc on him on that play? With LeBlanc yeah, right yeah, and it's LeBlanc. And, and what we're trying to say here is is it's not that people look at it and they go, oh, he held so he doesn't get separation. A guy like me looks at it and goes, okay, he's one-on-one with a right. guy with a five-yard inside leverage cushion. Yeah. Stems that outside and explodes. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised if LeBlanc is still standing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. When you see what you see, you go, wow, like all of a sudden it's a contested catch. And Manning, of course, throws a great ball. Like he puts it right where it's got to go. And it's like, yeah, it, it, that's a really tough play if you don't create separation early, if you don't win early. And that's kind of a, the it goes back to for me, Nick. And I know we're different on this, but you know, I would look at this game, and I just don't think that the quarterback play was bad in this game. He made some mistakes. Every quarterback to me makes mistakes, except the elite ones. I just don't know that it's going to be quarterback in twenty eighteen. I don't move on for Manning, but you know, and, and it comes down to the cap hit and really where this franchise is at from a roster standpoint. It doesn't make sense to have an uh, an overpaid aging quarterback like him. But but again. Um, you know, like we said, I just feel like we both feel like that narrative was a little stretched out, I guess, to say the least about it. Um, but I'll move on a little bit, Nick, because, you know, this game, a lot of the talk in this game, aside from that narrative, was just that, you know, why did the Giants go away from Saquon Barkley? I know the Giants went almost 17 minutes without uh, giving Barkley a call uh, from somewhere, I believe it was, between the second, uh, in the second and third quarter combined. And then he ended up with only five touches in the second half, including a dump off on the final drive, on the not even the final drive, that final possession where they had 20 seconds left on the game clock. So that really doesn't even count. Um, you know, what was your opinion of of? So we'll first start. We'll first start by saying this, Nick. When you look back on it, you notice that you know there were some there were some flaws in Barkley's game from not only from a running standpoint, but in his route running, uh, specifically in the arrow route he ran in the red zone that ended up being an incompletion. Obviously, you know, if you look back at that play, it should have been called pass interference. Malcolm Jenkins gets there, but in your opinion, and I know, and I, and I agree with this too, if he runs a better route, that's not even an issue. You know, the pass interference doesn't get there in time. So what did you see from Barkley? Yeah, I think overall, I mean, he, I think he had a good game. I think that he had, um, let's just start with the running, then we'll get to the back to the back yeah. of the, on, the, on the route side, on the rushing side, he had, you know, all this besides his two big runs, which he, he, Showed some really good traits running. Uh, he, the, all the rest of his runs, nothing was greater than four yards. And that's attributed to two things. Number one, the defensive line really played well for yep. the Eagles from really the second quarter on. After his big inside zone run, the touchdown, they really kind of changed. They didn't change up. They just, they, their gap discipline got really sharp. And quite frankly, they started beating a lot of the Giants in one on one matchups at the, on the offensive line. The second part of that is how we talked last week about how his, 
pace to the line as he described it or as we described it as his staying play side longer that how that improved last week in uh, in their most recent game before this in this game against the Eagles it kind of reverted back to what he was doing before where it was there, there was more hesitation slash looking to the backside of plays very early and when that happens against a defense that's swarming and that is has that keeps their gap discipline there just isn't a lot there and so like there was one example i believe it was in the second half where he's running inside zone and a player of safety comes down and fills in the B gap away from him and he just hesitates and stops because he tried, he's basically trying to beat that one guy instead of proceeding north and basically running almost a little bit like a little bit more the way um, really uh, Wayne Gallman was running, who was who was getting downhill very early and hitting holes and hitting small creases in inside zone that were there. So I'm not trying to say that Gallman was playing better than Barkley. Barkley had a great first half, I think, overall. But just that side of his running, going from good to great, he was not as great as he was in the previous, and that kind of helped or that hurt his 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 average yards. So when you know to get into then on the route running side of things, I think he's a very good route runner. But I think that when you talk about in-breaking routes for a running back who doesn't do that that often, especially in college, running an angle route with that plant step, there's a reason why Riddick in Detroit is so good at running it. He's like the best angle route runner in the league. Right. And and everyone else is kind of like there are other good examples, but it's it's not intuitive for those guys to do that. They don't they don't do that their entire careers most of the time. So what I saw on that route, just as Dan kind of pointed out, it was absolutely a penalty. But it wasn't one where I didn't think that Barkley could win at the catch point if he was gonna if if there wasn't a penalty there, and that's it's not a, it's an instinct that that takes a lot of time to hone and or more time than than Bar- and there's a lot coming at Barkley. Barkley, he's obviously probably gonna win rookie of the year in my opinion. But just those types of details are hard for in breaking routes in general. The other part of that is in the red zone when you when you run those in breaking routes there, everything is so tight and so small that you need. It's the same thing for wide receivers. You need guys who can win at the catch point and. I don't think you will see that as much in the red zone because especially against a, a one high structure, there's just so much traffic in the middle that it's, it's, it's very difficult to run. And I think it's, I think he's better in space versus going to space yeah. on, on the receiving side. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the case, Nick. And, you know, while there's a lot of chatter about going away from him in the second half, I do think that for the most part, <laughs> their second half offense was simply just derailed by, a combination of things. The first, which I know you'll agree with, which is just penalties, just oh, penalties for this team. I mean, their first and ten, uh, are their first and ten after two good runs from Wayne Gallman on his series, the second series of the third quarter of the second half of the Giants, and they get a false start. And after that false start, Corey Coleman drops a really easy catch that he should make for eight to ten yards, and now it's second and fifteen. And you just see this over and over with this team throughout the season, either penalties or untimely sacks in situations that were because of the penalty, you know, because of the penalty that they committed. And it's really derailing this offense. I mean, there was a third and three where they had from their own 40 yard line, I believe it was their fourth possession of, of the, of the second half key possession. And, you know, they get called for a delay of game and, these are just the type of penalty, and they ended up converting on that drive anyway, and it led to the field goals. They're really they're only their fourth and final drive before before the last drive. But the penalties have killed this team all year. What what do you make of these penalties, Nick? Why is this offense penalized so often? You got to look at. I think you got it goes down to, you know, I think it, it goes down to leadership. If you want to talk that on that leadership for the offensive line, if it's the coaching or people or or players there, I think it's got to fall on the coaching on some level. Um, you know that stuff was. It, that stuff that there is there is they're undisciplined there they're undisciplined in their run side when they're holding guys because they were getting beat there were a couple of really killer examples yeah. of that and just that stuff it's it is week 12 and you're still seeing it's a consistent factor right like it really is and when that when this team gets behind schedule it's very hard for them to come back and it's very hard by the way for any team to come back it's not taking a shot at the giants there it's it's just it, it, people don't understand the playbook gets very small and I know they want to see more Beckham and more Barkley, but I think John Schmelt tweeted today, there's probably no other two running back wide receiver tandem that probably has a higher percentage of catches or a percentage of the targets than those two guys. And I kind of feel the same way from tape study. I almost think that they need to diversify a little more. Um, and so I know not everyone feels that way, but it's like, hey, like, you know, ultimately you're seeing – if more of those two does not equal a win in this case, I think better execution gets you drives and that keeps your offense in the field. And then, you know, and ultimately the red zone play, I, I, again, I'll go back to this and I'm doing, I know I'm just reiterating my piece for those that read it. I saw a ton of creativity that I did not see on the offensive game plan this week to get this week. 
And that was really cool. And it, and I think they, they won a few victories that they should not have won. How many times do you see a running back go untouched uh, on a red zone screen? Uh, right. <laughs> what the hell? Like, how did he do that? I broke that down. I didn't, when I first watched it, I didn't see it. You know, I didn't know what it. it's hard to see unless you really take the time. So there's a lot of good stuff there, just ultimately not enough to kind of push him over. And all right, I, even, I go back on that. I think there was enough because I think that last drive was great. I mean, they, they really had some great plays and came back to a, a wrinkle on that screen pass that they actually used later in the game on the on Red Ellison's big catch that he had there on first down. Just overall stuff was really – they were moving. They were moving well just couldn't finish the drive. Yep. And there were some really good things uh, with the play calling. I agree as well. I mean, if you guys go on to Nick's Twitter and actually I think I believe he co- broke this down on cover one, the screen touchdown what he broke down was awesome. It was just a great play designed by Pat Shermer. You'll see it. And I don't need to, I'm not going to do it justice. So I'll just let you read his breakdown for it. But there's been really good signs of play calling and play calls individually for the Giants in these past three weeks. But one thing that bothered me, Nick, about this loss in the second half was that they went away from 12 and 21 personnel groupings in this game. And I think that that played a big role in the slowdown for the offense in the second half. I think this team is a team that should be using 12 and 21 a lot more. Uh, frequently, and for those who don't know, 12 personnel is two tight ends on the field at one time, one fewer receiver, and then 21 is either a fullback, uh, Elijah Penny, and a running back, or something I also think they should be using more often, two running backs with Barkley and Gallman. So can you explain to me why maybe that has le- played less? Do you believe that that played a big role in the offensive drop-off, or just kind of it was it was more of a product of the situation? No, no I, I think I think you're. I think that's a fair assessment, and that's been a fair assessment all year. There are two points that I uh, to give a teaser for a piece that I'll do at some point. One thing that's very interesting is the Giants when they use eleven personnel, they're starting to, or they have been over the past few weeks, reducing the splits the wide receivers take, and they've been running a lot of bunch formations, something that the Rams do, and that's part of the reason why Barkley has had some of these big holes on the backside. And I didn't realize it until I heard Greg Cosell say it. Then I watched on tape and I rewatched two games of the running, and I didn't realize that the angles have been changing uh, because they've been reducing their split. So basically doing the anti-spread, if you want to simplify it in a dumb way, and uh, and doing what a lot of the Rams do, which is kind of bringing, bringing people in, condensing the splits. What ends up happening is defensive backs have to back off. So within, I think their 11 personnel is getting a little better because guys like me were dogging it saying, hey, you have to do something to change the look here because when you stand up and run inside zone, everyone knows it and you can, and teams can stop it. So I think that's a, that's a, they should be commended a little bit for that. It's a very in the weeds and it's a, it's a detail, but it's, it's there. But to Dan's point though, I think they're not doing enough of that and they're not as creative there. They, they need to do it via personnel. And yeah, I mean, I, the, the, the screen that I broke down came out of 22 personnel and they sh- showed the 22 personnel during the fourth quarter drive, which, you know, it was a big play in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, should you have more of that? Sure. And I think that that is something, you know, I didn't see that. I can't, I, I'm looking at the, the whole game plan now or the, the breakdown of replay now. And I, I haven't run the numbers for what the, you know, how, different the game was the the bigger factor that i think that sticks out which ties to the personnel is the huge drop off in play action this week right and that's a problem with me that's the thing though nick and i get it but that's part of the personnel to me you can run play action more successfully when you're in those heavy to me at least when you're in the 12 and 21 and giants have proven that really over the past three weeks when they've been in that formation they've hit some of their biggest play action passes yeah and and you're not going to see overall massive amounts of like three three and four vertical types type concepts down the field from a drop back perspective so yes the play action gives manning both the time and everyone kind of an, an, an added initiative yeah no that that's i think they ran only i think i saw i didn't chart this part of it but i think they ran only one play action in the second half yeah. of the completion i believe could be wrong but no, i think correct yeah, and, and so that that's yeah that's that's killer that's the fruit that people should be, to be frank, that's what people should be focusing on, not how right. many tar- targets people are getting. It's like, come on. You know, there's the overall structure, especially against a team like the Eagles, who their linebackers love to get, they love to trigger early and love to get downhill. So, yeah, that I think that was a mistake for sure. And I think that's something where if you asked Pat Shermer in a room that wasn't hostile, he'd probably explain that and say, yeah, and here's why, or here's how we screwed up and here's what we're thinking about. You know, I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a real good question. Um and so, yeah, and to, and to get back to it, I, de- I definitely think it ties into the personnel. I do think, though, the only thing I'll throw in with the personnel is that until they get a truly 
multiple tight end that can block as well as he pat as you as he catches that that 12 will be a real big number because they don't have that right now i think ellison had a very good game but i think they don't have that player yet to match up in 12. yeah that's i i would agree with that i mean they do it's unfortunate to say but that's another need for this team now and that just a laundry list of needs and that one you would think is is further down the list just because of how how many others they have but i i can't argue with that and actually michael kissed uh, NFL uh, analyst posted something about this on Twitter about our point we just made. Giants play action week 11 equals 59%. Um, I believe that means 59% of their passing attempts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Manning was 10 of 10, 155 in a TD. And week 12, their second win in a row, it was only 23% of their te- – uh, or I'm sorry, that was in <laughs> – my bad. That was the, the game against Tampa. In week 12, it was only 23% of their snaps – so it goes from 59% of the pass attempts to just 23% of the pass attempts. And yet still, Manning went 7 of 8, 95 in a touchdown. So 17 of 18 for 260 yards and two touchdowns over the past two weeks in play action pass. And yet the Giants ran it fewer than 50% less of the time than they did in week 11. So that right there shows you. I mean, and this is also, and he he's, a, he's actually an Eagles reporter for Bleeding Green Nation. And he says... You know, why did they go away from what works so well in the pass game? And it's wild considering the Eagles struggles for play action. So obviously, I don't know the Eagles struggles for play action. I don't follow this team as, as well as I follow the Giants. But clearly, it's, you know, a reporter from the Eagles is telling me that, you know, they've really struggled on defense to stop play action passing. It just seems like a coaching error, at least to say the very least, the Giants went away from their play action passing game um, in the second half and just in general in week, in, in week 12. But We'll move on from that, Nick. Obviously, we got we got we we can't stay on the offense all day. But I do want to make one more point in the offense, and I want to see where you stand on this, Nick. Um, somebody made a point about this. If this was Bill Parcells as the head coach of the Giants, let's say hypothetically, we can just insert him into the game situation. I think the Giants win this game. I I really do. I think they run the hell out of the football in the second half and use the play action pass, and at the very least. They're killing game clock, and they're keeping the ball away from the Eagles' offense, the Eagles' running game, which chewed up clock in the second half, and they shortened the game, a game that they had a lead in. Uh, I, I, I mean, I know it's not new school football thinking to to go based on that. I get it, but it's still the same game. It's still played over sixty minutes, and I do, I do stand by that. I don't know where do you stand on that, Nick? Uh, just with the with the correlation that the that the you know that running does not increase. Well, the running success doesn't complete doesn't increase the more you run it quantifiably across the board. There, there's really no correlation there. Does that happen on a team by team basis? I would say yeah, probably at some point. But I would say just a little bit more of the play action alone. Yeah, you but you get the play action going. I think via that. I mean, it's not not necessarily via that. It just to me, this was a game where the Giants needed to shorten the game. I thought it was pretty clear early that this defense, the Giants' defense, what they have left from a talent standpoint, just couldn't compete with this Eagles offense for a long period of time. They had those splash plays. They had a couple good blitzes that you outlined. A lot of people put on Twitter, you know, that got there and that may have stopped a few drives from being, you know, from being scoring drives. But it, it, it was a feast or famine, in my opinion, for this Giants defense. If they didn't get those splash plays on a drive, the Eagles were just methodically moving the ball down the field. Um, yeah, but I'd have to also say though too, like look at the first play of the, of the half it was a run, it was an inside zone run. Then when Gallman takes over, he's got back to back runs. Right. And so and so until the penalty, so there's only two. There's only here's the bottom line. There's only 21 snaps in the second. Yeah, half. I know. Like, and so that's where it. So if you want to look at the third possession where Manning comes out and throws, uh, which which people thought like the entire half was this one play where Manning throws the X-go route to Odell, oh, yeah. which was aggressive, but I like I think you want him to – Yeah, I'll try, take that, exactly. Like try on first down, but I think then, you know, again, what, what I wrote down, which people didn't realize, that next play is an RPO, and it's a pre-snap box count RPO. So there are seven men in the box, so Manning's throwing it. The old adage for RPOs, if there's five men in the box, you run it. If there's six, you read it. You read the guy at the snap and then, uh, or at the mesh point, and if there's seven, you throw it. So it was literally that that simplistic. They ran and just didn't complete the ball. So that would have been a run, and I hear you. I hear people saying that, hey, sometimes you just got to run the ball, but I, I just don't think they had a lot of – they didn't have a big enough sample size to, to say that that would have made – the difference, although if they had sustained a drive, I'm telling you, 
Pat Shermer is the guy who runs inside zone four and five times in a row. Like he's the guy to do that. So I think if they had actually gotten some first downs in a non game time situation, you would have seen that. No, I hear you. I just think this specifically was a game they need to shorten. And then we'll transition to the defense with that note. Um, I thought, you know, there was a lot of heat that James Betcher, Giants defensive coordinator, took after this game. To me, I'm not judging him at all based on his first season. He doesn't have linebackers he trusts in man coverage, which really limits what he can do from a scheme standpoint. And yet we saw some good signs from him when it came to the blitz and some of the creative blitzes that he designed and some of them that got through in this game, not to mention some of the things he did to limit two of the better tight ends in the league, Zach Gertz and Dallas Goddard. So touch a little bit on that, Nick, and, and, and walk us through that. So they were able to – I know people want to see more pressure that ends up in sacks. That's the ultimate goal, right? But what you what, what showed in this game, especially early in the first half, through the, through the half really, why the Eagles only had three points going into that drive where they scored, um, and we'll get to why that happened, and that was really the entire game. Um, uh, on the passing side, so many – when you throw a lot of looks, even, even a quarterback like Wentz, if it's blitzing or if it's or if it's coverage that doesn't really look like man, it doesn't really look like zone, the quarterback's going to hesitate. And that's what you saw. So whether it was either uh, Wentz having to come off and throw off or him missing wide open guys down the field, it was because of these mixture of blitzing and blitz looks or looks that just turn into tricky coverages that made Wentz stop. And you've seen Betcher do this for weeks on end. I know, again, people want to crush the guy because the defense is – you know, kind of giving up some bigger plays or giving up drives. But specifically, I think he's getting them through the first half of these games. This stuff, schematically, you can't win a game purely on that. You have to execute. So I think he got them through that first part of it. Um, and what you're seeing a lot of is a lot of pattern match. This week they changed and ran almost exclusively one high, single high safety coverages. So almost exclusively a lot of Rip Liz, which is a Alabama, the base of Alabama's pattern match. Um, and they just did it over and over again. And whereas in other weeks, they're mostly a split safety, uh, a too high safety uh, defense. So when you see that type of or he can, there's a lot of arrows in, in Betcher's quiver and he can throw a lot at it at an offense. And I think they can get them through what did not, what they were, they where this game was lost was Doug Peterson continually running split zone. And that drive in the third quarter was an epic battle where split zone basically beat the Giants. To a pulp, and specifically, you could get into their interior defensive line. Just and not no, they just they were just beaten, and and their gap discipline that went away a little bit. But overall, they could not stop Josh Adams going downhill, and that basically set up the final drive where the Eagles come back to that. The Eagles ran the ball five times in a row for runs over five yards. I believe that stat is right. Um, and you know when you see that, it's just rare to see a game come down to that where the running actually carries the one team through in in the final drive especially um and and that split zone thing is is a or split zone issue is not an issue it's just something where it was the eagles bread and butter it was josh adams bread, or adams's bread, bread and butter and it's and it hit on the giants weakness and and they're not gonna they're not gonna they're not gonna get better at that until they get basically a better interior defensive line presence and consistent effort from both this first and the second yeah, and that comes with time. I mean, this is a defense, like we talked about it earlier. Except for that Patrick 2016 season, they've been really bad for a long time, and you can clearly tell there's a lot of work to be done there. But I did want to touch a little bit before we moved on on Grant Haley, who had the highest grade of any Giants defensive player, according to pro football folks at least, made that key pass breakup in the end zone on third and goal of, of Golden Tate when the Eagles were trying to score a touchdown on the final drive. He held Golden Tate uh, to just – Four, four targets all game despite covering him in the slot almost the entire game. One catch for 12 yards. What do you make of Haley? Is he somebody who can really be a part of the future solution here? Yeah, I would say so. I think that his, his continual issue is his play strength yep. in routes and ability to – his twitch is solid. Um, and so one thing that is kind of clear to define um, is the way Betcher has set up the roles – whether they're in when they're in regular nickel hand, uh, Haley plays, right? He plays specifically the star slash nickelback position, which is usually played to the field. And then to the boundary is where Collins plays. He's either a boundary safety or he goes down in big nickel in their big nickel package as a basically almost like a linebacker slash outside outside linebacker, like a defensive end. Right. And so so when Haley's in space, 
I think he's, I think he's solid. I think that like you saw, like he, he, he had a couple pass breakups slash he had, a, he basically should have had an interception on that swing pass. I don't know what that was. Uh, just not, he made a good play, but he didn't make a great play. If he makes a great play, it's a touchdown. Um, so stuff like that, I definitely think he's there. I just think that he needs more time in the weight room and overall more, more experience. You're still seeing, you know, just an overall not, you know, you're, there are still guys directing traffic on the secondary side to help other guys, and he's one of the guys getting helps. I think pretty soon he'll be a guy helping other players, that type of thing. Yeah, I do think uh, – I'm with you, Nick. I do think he could be a part of solution, more so in the slot than anything else. I don't see him as a boundary guy moving forward for the Giants, but, you know, that's a valuable position that they need. And you can always, um, you know, you have fine usage for guys who can cover in the secondary. So before we move on to the listeners' questions, is there anything else you want to touch on or – or I guess for the Bears, the Bears brief. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on regarding the Giants' uh, defense from the All Twenty Two? No, I think it was you know it was it was a, it was a tough battle, and um, yeah, I think that you know I all, going forward, I think people might think I'm crazy, but you know, or, or some of the listeners that that aren't that don't see the other sides of the league a lot, but I just hope Betcher's here long enough uh, because he's gonna get he's gonna get interviews um, for sure, and uh, and he's one of those guys that 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 deserves it for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. I actually like what I've seen from Betcher all season long. And this defense was actually pretty damn good for the first few weeks until they traded away his best, uh, in my opinion, and certainly his most consistent player, Damon Harrison. So we'll move on from there to a preview of the Bears. Did the Giants actually have a shot to win this thing, Nick, even if <laughs> it starts? Because, listen, Chase Daniels started on Thanksgiving against a bad Lions team, and let's face it, the Giants are a bad team. And he won that game, and he was pretty decent. So is there any way you can see the Giants pulling this game out? Yeah, I think that you know, with it, it's it's hard to who do you prepare for this week, and it really does come down to that because Trubisky is like a completely different ball of wax. Daniel is a Daniel's is a very I would say he's a solid backup, um, not much of a vertical threat in this game. Um, I like his touch passes, but you know anything outside of eight yards, ten yards for him in that Lions game, he he struggled with. Yeah, um, you know I I think ultimately. His play speed to blitzes, you know, he's been a backup for a while. He hasn't gotten many starts. I think you're, you'll still see that. I'm just wondering if – the biggest issue, I think, is if he had that game as his first game and then he get much better in his second game, which could absolutely be the case. I think that his fundamentals throwing are very solid, and that's what makes me think that his accuracy is going to get better the more he plays. Uh, and that would mean, again, week two, you could see a big jump there. But if, if you don't see that jump and he mirrors the play in Detroit, I was kind of surprised that they actually won that game. Um, just the first half was just really very quiet. And, and from his perspective, he's missing targets. He's kind of missing reads. He gets his eye discipline's not that great. I've got a kind of a lot of notes of like, wow, I was, you know, surprised that the Lions weren't basically winning by more. And that's a total tribute to the to the Bears defense there too. Um, and look, this offense is this offense is very different than it is with Trubisky. This offense is a lot of this offense last week specifically too was a lot of RPO looks, um, a lot of bubble screens, a lot of stuff in the in the intermediate on the short side of the field to basically get their players in space, and they do it very well. And their players are very good. I think the the, the toughest matchup by far this week is going to be Trey Burton, um, just because not because the Giants are so bad at covering the tight end, but because he's he's basically a wide receiver. Um, and and it, that plays on the interior side of the of the uh, of the formation, so that's going to be tough. I think Gabriel in space is going to be tough um, against the both giant corners. Uh, again, go back to you know Jenkins played physically this game, this past game, but overall the coverage side of things, it's not you know it's it's not what you need to see for for basically your number one corner. Um, so that that's where they're going to be challenged, and and if they have any kind of vertical sense where they're able to get Ogletree in, in isolated in zone or man, I think that's that's going to be another headwind uh, too for the Giants. Yeah, I think this is going to be a game where Tyreek Cohen goes off, and I just think that the overall motion and, and misdirection of this this Bears offense under Nagy is going to give that second level of the Giants defense nightmares uh, throughout this game. I don't think the Giants are going to come close in this game personally, um, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see where it's at. But, you know, there's not too much to talk about re- regarding – the 2018 season at this point. People want to know about the future. So let's jump right into the questions from the listeners, Nick. And Benji starts by asking, is Shermer's play calling that bad, or is there something in the X's and O's that we're not seeing? Uh, I think this I think that is it's not it's not that bad. I think it's as advertised. I know that sounds like I'm repeating myself, but ultimately, you know, you're seeing little wrinkles that are that are present in in um, in good play calling where the same looks do different things. And are different things as the 
game goes on. So I think he's improved there. I think he and he and Shula have improved in terms of honing honing what the offense wants to do. I think overall it's consistency. I, I would go back to the, the consistency comes down certainly to coaching, but I don't think it's a schematic thing at all. And I know a lot of people don't watch a lot of the other of other teams tape, but you know, the Giants run the same concepts that everyone runs. Everyone runs the same concepts. It's the details to how they run those concepts. Um, you know, I, I think that the, their details are, are good. And I think they're they're good enough when you have a position skill group like the way they have it set up here. So I'm not not seeing a you're not seeing a disconnect where like and take a team like Chicago that had an offensive coordinator that, you know, basically couldn't help his quarterback at all for Nat when now and with Matt Nagy, his quarterback looks, you know, really, really good. And so you see that it's, it's not that type of, of need or or lack of coordination or lack of connecting with with the players. At, at really, I think I think going forward, it's 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 something it's a it's a positive spot to grow from. Yeah, I'm with you. For me, the issue has not been play calling. I think he's had some really good play calling in recent weeks like we went over. For me, the issue is more of just kind of his overall feel. I do think he tends to panic a little bit and go to his 11 personnel too early and kind of feel like the game is falling out of hand when it's just simply not. Um, and I do think there are some execution issues. There's been so many, they, they tried that throwback screen to Beckham twice this year and it was called for a hold on both plays. And that's just like, that's just, to me, it's, it's partly coaching and it's not something that they can afford to have. Um, there's no margin for error with this offense, but Benji also asked, and we'll do a couple more. Well, everybody, any question that's asked, as we, as we like to say, we'll get it, we'll get answered. So he asks, why were the Giants unable to respond to the Eagles halftime adjustments? And I guess, you know, we we're referring to when we hit that already was kind of how they put a safety down in the box to take away Barkley. Um, but we touched on that already. So um, we'll, we'll move on to another question from Jack who asks, after three games, do you think that Jamon Brown could be the future right guard or should they look for a replacement via the draft? And I'll throw this to you in a second, Nick, but I'll start by saying what me and Nick have, have really preached from the start of when we started this podcast, 20, 22, 23 episodes ago, whatever it was now. Um, you should always be looking to the draft to keep – unloading and replenishing and providing competition on the offensive line. That's how the good teams do it. That's what the Giants didn't do for 11 years. But to answer your question is whether or not I think he could be the future right guard. I think he can be the future right guard. I don't think he's the best option at right guard uh, or at an offensive guard. I think he's a solid player. I've seen, you know, some issues with him uh, in pass protection over these last two weeks, especially last week against the Eagles. Where do you see it, Nick, as far as his future with the team? I think he looks like a guy who's who's good and is and just finished his third preseason game, where you're now looking for the jump. And you know what Dan's talking about in terms of like in pass pro, he against Cox, yeah, Cox bulled the crap out of him a few times. Oh, and, yeah, and, and then Bennett beat him with a really nice swipe. Move. Oh, that was and, a great move. He completely burned him on that one. Yeah, and by, and so part of this gets into like, is he elite? No. Is right. Ben is Bennett at times elite? Yes. So then it's like, okay, so how are you going to pay him? And that's a completely different conversation. But I think his ball is there, and it's going to get better. And but but I gotta emphasize more what Dan's saying in terms of drafting for competition and drafting for just just getting just getting good people in the door. You know, whether it's now or later, I mean, they're they're going to have to draft a tackle no matter what happens. You know, and and I would say the same case for for the interior line, like. You know, that's there's there's no problem doing that. All right, no problem doing that. So I think it's 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 a combination of not a combination of both. I think they're gonna both sign him and draft a guy and draft another interior lineman. Uh, so it's and I think that guy may be a guy who could be a center too. Um it's just the other side right. that'll throw there. That that so like it's not just specifically for the right guard position, it's it's interior line period. Uh, but yeah, I think it's been good. His play's been good and he loses to elite talent because of one issue with play strength, two his He's deliberate in his hands, and deliberate hands are can become targets. And that's where I think as he gets more starts under his belt and his team, you'll see his play speed pick up, and he'll be able to flash that recovery that he did in, in, uh, in Los Angeles. Yeah, and, and obviously when we talk, you know, I mentioned earlier, I think their best solution is to sign Daryl Williams to play right tackle. And then they'd obviously have two highly paid, even though I do believe Williams will come at a discount because he was injured this season. Um, but obviously in 2017, he was pro football focused as number one rated right tackle. I believe he's number two overall offensive tackle. So he's a hell of a player, but he'll probably come in a slight discount. But you would then have two highly paid offensive tackles. But I still think they should draft a tackle, even in that case, you know? A hundred percent, especially in this, in this draft class. This draft class has so many tackles. Yeah, get one. that tackle. So this is a good draft for them to find one. So that just goes back to kind of the point with, 
with what we were making about Brown. You know, you just you got to keep replenishing the the cupboard there. Um, Jack also asked, "What is Will Hernandez's ceiling uh, on this team? You know, for the Giants?" Good question. Um, shit, that's a good question. Yeah, just because I was wanting want to come back to after taking a deeper look at him. Potentially, yeah, because I wanted to to do that at like week five or six, and I and I shelved the piece. Um, what you're seeing. I haven't seen the violence yet in his game that I think you're just going to see as he matures more, but how that gets into a ceiling question and a projection question. Um, all right, let me, let me come back. I will come back to you. Fair enough. Um, we'll move on. Rob asks, how do you interpret Pat Shermer's comments on why he would pass over uh, Laletta to play Tammy? Mm. We talked about this before on the podcast. I partially think that he's just screwing with the media <laughs> when he says stuff like that, just to keep everyone off balance and to keep saving face for the quarterback room. That if you have a QB two and you've got a guy who's never played before on any team, right? Like and a rookie, like you know, you're not just going to just overpass the QB two. But again, I we both think that the letter should play. So I think it's just kind of him, Shermer, being a little, you know, what do you want? What's the word you want to say? Kind of icy or just kind of you know, like a little, a little. A little pushback to the media. Yep. And then Client9 asks um, about the, po- the possibility of bringing back Eli next season, but we did already touch on that, so we won't go back into that one. Um, but we will get to a question from Adam Johnson, and I like this one, and I'll let you start it off, Nick, who asks, what's your evaluation of year one of offensive coordinator Mike Shula, and should we keep him or move on from him? Um. Still looking to see who's doing the third game, the third down and red zone coordination. Yeah. Uh, if he's the red zone coordinator and responsible for the play design within the red zone and the run game coordinator, I gotta say, like that's that's something where there's some questions there that there needs to be improvement because there just there just isn't, and that's a combination of execution and what the offensive line is capable of. But yada yada, I still think that needs to pick up. So if he's responsible there, then yeah, that's kind of a then that's a question. Um, you know, I do like, like I said, some of the newer stuff I've seen in the last two weeks that I've broken down. Everything I see that's interesting, I will break down on some level if it's a piece or a thread. So I've been seeing more. I'm looking for good football. I've seen better football in the last since the bye. Um, bef- you know, outside of that, I, I, I think it's, you know, I, I, I think that Shermer, the only way that Shermer will fire him and still be the coach or not be in the total hot seat is if he goes with someone he's worked with very closely. I don't mean in like a head coach, offensive coordinator capacity. I mean like in the Andy Reid tree or at his time in Philadelphia. So unless if that comes up, I think sure. I think Shula stays. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that one. I think that well, actually, I'm not saying actually I shouldn't see. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be as certain that he'll stay. So I think it just it's so hard to predict based on who comes available this offseason. Right. And you know, Shermer wanted. Um, to yeah. the fans. It was the fancy, right? From the Vikings last year. Yeah, and everyone's gonna want him. So but but they should if if he becomes available, that and this is it goes back to my point. If that if that if that's his comfortability level, then absolutely, right? And and because he's gonna he's at some point he's gonna be coaching for his job, whether it's this season or next. So he's gonna want he's gonna want that. And so if that comes available, sure. That's and that's what I'm saying. And and so but at bar that I don't I don't think I, I think it's okay. Yeah, I mean I think there's a chance to get a real uh, an offensive line coach they like and just give him and to offer him a promotion to offensive coordinator with the Giants. You take it any day because Hal Hunter is, is not going to – I don't think he's going to be here next year. He might. I mean, the offensive line is playing a little better, but I don't think he should. And if you can offer a really high-profile, you know, proven offensive line coach a promotion to offensive coordinator with a head coach like Shermer who's going to call the plays or at least wants to call the plays, and all he really can then be in charge of is really taking over that run game – to me, it's a win-win situation for the Giants uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So we'll see what happens there. Um, the last question today is from Freddie, uh, who asks, what's the rush to get Stewart and Latimer off of injured reserve and playing in games? Yeah, that one on the Stewart side, I don't um, <laughs> I don't understand. Stewart's, uh, I don't think Stewart's going to play this year. He's practicing, but I don't think he's going to take an active roster spot. I just think that I don't understand what Gettleman is doing to himself because it was clearly not a great signing. You know, you could – just from a money perspective, a money to output perspective alone. Um, Latimer is different. I think Latimer is a player that they want to see if he can, you know, consistently you know, perform. And, and then, and like Dan's saying, then they're going to have to pay him. So like, that's a, that's a bigger, that's a bigger question and process. I think for, 
on, on, on the other side of the house. I just think that it's the Stewart thing's kind of obvious and I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Maybe there's more there. Maybe he's like the, the best locker room guy ever. I mean, I don't know that we don't know that, but from the tape, you know, the giants aren't running a ton of gap, a gap schemes, which that's his bread and butter. He's not his own runner. Um, so I don't get it. <laughs> Even if you need a body, I think that they've got better bodies in the practice squad for the future, which is what we're looking to, what everyone's looking to at this point in the season. Yeah, and if you read a little deeper into Shermer's comments, it did seem like both Latimer and Stewart are like more contingency emergency plans. Um, and I don't think either will actually be um, added back to the 53-man roster this season. Um, but on that note, that's all the questions we have for today. And we're going to wrap up the show there. But first, before we sign off, guys, uh, guys and girls listening in, Please, please do us a favor uh, to help us spread the show and grow it bigger. Subscribe on iTunes to our show. Download the new podcasts when it comes out. Give us a rating and a review if you can. It's just going to help us grow um, and try to get bigger and be able to do this more often and everything like that. Um, Nick, where can we find all your work? Uh, over at uh, cover1.net, Giants X's and O's guy there. Um, and inside the pylon, I got to get I got to get something over for them soon. And um, on Twitter, my handle, tmanic21. Uh, putting out threads, putting out comments, all that type of good stuff. Yeah, and you guys can find me on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL. Um, on that note, have a good rest of the week, guys. And I guess we'll say go Giants, even though win- winning probably isn't the best thing for this franchise right now. But go Giants. It's how we'll sign it off. Um, thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.